my name is Daniel Norris, and I have the privilege of serving here at New Beginnings as one of the pastors, and I am excited to be here with each and every one of you guys today. As you heard Pastor Brad say earlier, if you're a guest with us, man, we are so glad that you're here. If you didn't get a chance to stop by one of our guest tents on your way in, then please be sure to stop by our Next, te- uh, next Steps desk out there. We would love to connect with you. Uh, get to know you a little bit better, and then also give you guys a gift. And so this morning, we are, um, are going to be in the book of Philippians. If you think back over the last couple months, we've been in this book for several weeks. We, we've covered Philippians chapter 1, we've covered Philippians chapter 2, and today we're starting in Philippians chapter 3 called 3.0. Everybody say 3.0. is called Chasing Jesus. That's the title of the series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks. It'll carry us through the summer. And so here, last week we took a break from Philippians uh, because Pastor Todd preached an incredible message uh, addressing uh, the Supreme Court ruling and Roe v. Wade and, and, and all that and what that means for us as believers. And so I uh, hope you were here. I hope you heard it. But if you did not, man, I want to challenge you and encourage you to go on our website, go online, and and check that out. I think it is critical for each and every one of us to hear that message and hear what our response as believers are to that that, uh, ruling that the Supreme Court made. So this morning, again, like I said, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be chasing after Jesus for the next several weeks. When I was in college... um, I had this phrase written on my bathroom mirror. It said this, it said, if it is to be, it's up to me. Now my wife says, that's such a jock thing. Like, (laughs) you are such a a jock. That would be something you would write on your bathroom mirror. And so she's right, it was like, if it is to be, it's up to me. And I would get up every morning and fix my hair and brush my teeth, and I would look at that phrase, and I would say it back to myself and say, all right, Daniel, if it is to be, it's up to me. You gotta get to work. You gotta work hard. Nobody's gonna do this for you. You gotta be the best. You gotta do all of these things. And I know as I say that, some of you are like, you're a lunatic. I was obsessive, I was crazy about certain goals and accomplishing certain things and trying to to be the absolute best at whatever it was that I was doing. Now before you judge me too quickly, you may not have had this phrase written on your bathroom uh, mirror in bold with a sharpie, and you may not have said that phrase to yourself every single morning, but I I would bet to believe, it's, it's safe to say, that even though you may not have this on the mirror, and even though you may not look at that and you may not say that, the reality is that most of us live like this. Most of us, the way we live, the way we act, the way we get up, the way we go about everything we do, we live like this is true. Like if it is to be, it's up to me. The Apostle Paul knew this better than anyone. I mean, this guy was the epitome of this. And we're gonna look at Philippians chapter three and he's gonna address this very thing, this mindset. If it is to be, it's up to me. It's all about me, myself, and I. I've gotta be good enough. I've gotta be smart enough. 
I've got to be righteous enough. This was what Paul is addressing in Philippians chapter three. Would you pray with me? Father, give us eyes to see the things that we need to see today. Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand who you are. Jesus, help us to understand what you've done. We'll give you all the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Philippians chapter three. I've said that several times. That's where we're gonna be starting in verse one. When you're there, let me hear you say the Bible is true. Man, you guys are good. Here we go. Philippians chapter three, starting in verse one. Paul says these words to his friends in Philippi. Finally, my brothers and sisters, or finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Paul says, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, Paul says, and I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, Paul said, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is addressing this me, myself, and I attitude, this if it is to be, it's up to me. He's addressing the reality of self-righteousness versus real righteousness, the only kind of righteousness that's worth anything. Right out of the gate, Paul says, finally, my brothers. He, he pulls a, a classic preacher move, doesn't he? Did you notice that? He, he, he says, finally, and if you're like most people, when somebody says finally, like you think like, oh, he's, he's wrapping this thing up, like we're done, he's landing the plane, we're gonna go home, get some lunch here in a minute. But he's got a whole lot more to say. He doesn't end the letter right there. Y'all don't know any preachers like that, do y'all? Hey, y'all quit looking at Pastor Todd over there. I mean, he's right here in the room, and y'all are looking at him, saying, I, yeah, I know a few like that. I got accused of it at 8 o'clock and 9.30, so you're welcome, Pastor Todd. They were looking at me and judging me like that. So he says, finally, my brothers. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, to write the, the same things to you, it's no trouble for me, and it's actually safe for you. 
Paul, remember he's writing to his friends in Philippi. These are his close friends. These are his friends that he planted this church with 10 years previous to this letter. We said it all the way back in chapter one. They're like, Paul uh, loves these people. He's like a spiritual father to them. They're like his kids. And like most good parents, Paul's reminding them over and over and over again about something that's really important, something that matters most. Parents in the room, none of you have to remind your kids about anything more than once, do you? Am I the only one that I have to say like 20 times, 30, to go, hey, let me remind you, don't forget this. Hey, real quick, let me tell you this one more time. This is Paul in this moment. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. He, he's reminding them. He, he wants them to know something. He wants them to know how important this is. He says, I don't mind saying this again and again and again. Like I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. 20 different times Paul uses the word joy or rejoice in these four chapters. I think if I say something at my house 20 times, you better believe it's important, amen? Like if I have to say something 20 times, you better grab hold of it, you better know that matters. And Paul wants you to know that your joy matters. Joy, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Here's what Paul's wanting them to know and wants us to know this morning. Your joy is not found in your circumstances. Your joy is not found in something. Your joy is found in someone. Can I get an amen for that one? Your joy is found in Jesus. I think there might be someone in here that needs to hear that this morning. There might be someone in here that walked in and you don't feel very joyful. Let me just remind you, just like Paul says to his friends here, your joy is not found in your circumstances. Your joy is not found in what you're going through. Your joy is not found in whether you have a job or not. Your joy is not found in what the stock market's doing. Your joy is not found in the price of gasoline. (laughs) That hits home, doesn't it? That's a joy killer every time you go and fill up that tank, isn't it? Paul says your joy is not found in any of those things. Your joy is found in one place. Your joy is found in one person, and that is in the person of Jesus. Paul goes on and he says, hey, don't forget this. And with this reminder, he then gives a warning. He says, I want you to know something. Your joy is found in Jesus, but watch out. Your your righteousness is not found in religion. That's the first point if you're taking notes that Paul wants us to grab hold of this morning. Say, listen, I know you think it's up to you and I know you think you've gotta be good enough, smart enough, and if you watch Saturday Night Live back in the 90s, then gosh darn it, right? People like me, right? Only one laugh, that's all right. Listen, Paul is, is, he's saying, listen, rejoice in the Lord. He's where your joy comes from. And then he gives a warning. He says, look out. There are going to be some people that want to steal your joy. 
there are gonna be some people that you need to look out for, watch out for. Look what he says in verse two. He says, look out for dogs, for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, when Paul says, look out for the dogs, he's not talking about your cute little chihuahua. He's not talking about my big, furry, cuddly, golden doodle Tex who would rather cuddle you to death than anything. He's not talking about our our favorite friendly pet. He's talking about some people. He's talking about uh, some guys in in this group called the Judaizers. So Paul says, look out for these dogs. You see, in Paul's day and age, dogs were unclean. Jews would refer to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, as dogs. And in this moment, Paul flips it and he calls these Jewish religious legalistic guys dogs. He says, hey, rejoice in the Lord and watch out for these dogs. Watch out for these, uh, these unclean religious legalistic zealots. Look out for these guys. Look out for these evildoers. Look out for these who mutilate the flesh. These Judaizers, here's why Paul said look out. These Judaizers were going around trying to tell the believers in Philippi, hey, Jesus is good, like, yeah, go Jesus, but he's not good enough. It's Jesus plus the Old Testament law. You've got to do all of these things if you really want to be saved and made right. These guys, the Judaizers, it wasn't just about the Ten Commandments and those things. They were also saying, listen, Jesus is good, but if you really want to be made right with God, it's Jesus plus circumcision. How do you like that one? I'm glad I didn't live back then, right? Scary. Paul's like, listen, these guys are trying to add to the gospel. They were saying it's Jesus plus this. In Galatians, we see Paul has some really strong words for these same guys. In Galatians 5, Paul basically says, hey, these Judaizers that are wanting to say it's Jesus plus circumcision in order to be made right with God, he he basically looks at them and he says, hey guys, if that's what makes you right with God, then why just remove a little? Why not just mutilate yourself and remove the whole thing? If you're really that devout, if you really think that that's what gives you right standing before God, then go ahead and just do away with it all. Show us how committed you really are. Paul has some very strong words for them. Can I just tell you this morning, New Beginnings? Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. Jesus plus anything else, it is not the gospel This idea of earning righteousness through religion, listen, it wasn't just back then. It is pervasive around the world. Everywhere you go, you will hear Jesus plus this. You will see different religions and different ethnicities, different groups of people believing that their religion and their ritual is what gives them right standing with God. We've had several mission trips all around the world this summer 
and we even have some going on right now, from Africa to the Amazon, to Mexico City, to Denver, Colorado, to San Antonio, to, we've been everywhere this summer. And I promise you, everywhere you go, this is gonna be one of the problems you run into. I, I know this because I was just in the Amazon last, about a week ago. It's an incredible trip. And we went into several villages in the Amazon forest where no Americans had ever been. And I had this exact same conversation. I remember I sat down with a guy and we talked for about two hours. And I was trying to share with him who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, that Jesus is the only way that you and I can be made right with God. And he couldn't get past it. It was, and I, I, God is gonna let me in someday because I'm a good person, because I do a lot of good things. And no matter how hard we tried in that moment, like he, he just couldn't move past his religion and his works and all of these things that he was trying to do. Listen what Pastor Tony Evans says about this, this idea of trying to earn righteousness through religion and, and all of these other things that we do. This is what he says. He says, we must beware of any system of theology that says we must earn our standing with God. All the spiritual calisthenics or exercises or hoops that we jump through or that we might do, including good things like going to church, reading our Bibles, praying, and giving, will not help us earn right standing with him. He goes on to say, religion, in fact, only weighs us down. It never tells us when we've done enough because it allows no such end. See, all religion from Judaism to Islam to Mormonism to Catholicism. And yes, even East Texas Bible Belt believing people deal with this sometimes. You see, here's what religion says. All religion, regardless of which one, says this. Do these things in an attempt to be made right with God. And Paul says, absolutely not. He says, listen, your righteousness is not found in the religious things you do. It is found in what Christ has done. Religion says do, the gospel says done. That's why on the cross Jesus said it is finished once and for all. I've done it all. So Paul says watch out. Watch out for these false teachers and religious rituals that want to draw your attention away from Christ. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, for it is we, or for we are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, Paul quickly flips the scripts on these Judaizers and he says, we are the true circumcision, the true people of God are those who worship the spirit, by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Here's what Paul's saying in that verse. He's saying, listen, it's not about mutilation, it's about transformation. It's not about the external, it's about the internal. It's about a circumcision, but it's about a circumcision of the heart. 
Paul says, when you receive Jesus, he forgives you of all of your sins. He removes your heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh. He makes you brand new. And he's the only one who can do that. Again, Paul says, it's not about any of the religious activities or any of the things that you do. It is only what Christ has done. So Paul says, our righteousness is not found in religion. And then he goes on to say, our righteousness is not found in the flesh. Look what he says in verses four through six. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, he says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He, what's he doing right here? He, he's, Paul's like one-upping these guys. Y'all know anybody that's a one-upper? Y'all got any friends like that that you hang out with and you tell a story and they're like, oh yeah? Well, I've got this. Check out this degree. Check out, what, well, I went to this school. Y'all don't know anybody. Why are y'all laughing and nodding your heads over here? Y'all don't know any one-uppers. Paul is, is one-upping these Judaizers. He's like, hey, if anyone can put confidence in the flesh, he's like, it's me. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, taught the class. And he gives them then his track record. He gives them his pedigree. He says, I was born into the right family. I went to the right church. I went to the, the best school. I kept the law perfectly. Paul's looking at these guys going, man, when it comes down to being doing the right things and going through all the motions, Paul's like, I, I, it was me. No one could do it better. Paul's like, I was like the Bible drill champion in this moment for these guys. I'm glad Pastor Todd thought that one was funny. He's like, this is it. I'm the guy. He says, no one was more confident in themselves than me. And then he goes on to say in verse seven that something happened, something changed. You see, Paul, before he was Paul, was, his name was Saul. He absolutely hated Christianity. That's why he says, he, I was a persecutor of the church. I was die hard, all in. There was no one that did it better than me. And he says, but then something happened, something changed. Like Paul was the guy that had that written. If it is to be, it's up to me. I'm going to set the standard. I'm going to be good enough. I'm gonna be the best. I'm gonna be blameless. I'm gonna do everything that I'm supposed to do in order to be found right with God. And then Paul has an encounter on the road to Damascus, or should I say Saul, has an encounter on the road to Damascus, and he sees Jesus for who Jesus is. And in that moment, everything changes for Paul. In that moment, Everything changes. Listen to what he says. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In this moment, Paul looks at his life and he does some accounting. He had his spreadsheet laid out, and he had this column over here that said gain, 
And he had all of the things that he was doing in that column. Religiosity, good works, just doing all of the things, being good enough, being smart enough, being the best, being blameless. And he says, I, 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 I thought all of those things were gain. And then I saw Jesus. And I took everything in that column that was gain and I moved it over here into the column of loss. He says, I realized in that moment that everything I was putting my hope in, everything I had confidence in was not a gain, it was a loss. He says, because I saw Jesus and who he is and what he's done and I realized he is of surpassing worth. There's nothing that compares to him. In fact, Paul goes in further, he says, it's not just a loss, he says, it is rubbish, it is garbage, it is dung, is the original translation. He says, it has absolutely no value. I put no confidence in those things anymore because I've seen Jesus. In fact, Isaiah 64, six gives us a pretty good description of what Paul realized Isaiah 64, six says this, it says, all our righteousness, how much? Uh, you gotta do better than that, how much? All, all means what? All. all our righteousness is filthy rags. Notice Isaiah, the prophet, does not say, all our sin is filthy rags. Isaiah says, all our, our righteousness all of our religion, all of our works, all of our me, myself, and I, if it is to be, it's up to me, mindset and attitude, everything we do, everything we put our hope in, everything we're putting our confidence in, everything we're doing to make ourselves better or to hope that we find right standing with God, Isaiah says, it's like filthy rags. That's why Paul says it is rubbish. It belongs in the dump. In Luke 18, Jesus gives us a story about a guy that comes to him. Jesus is hanging out and it says that this rich, young, successful guy comes to him. And he says, hey, good teacher, what must I do? You see the difference there? He says, Jesus, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the law say? And this guy goes through the list, and he says, it give, basically gives him the 10 commandments. He says, love the Lord your God, do this, do that. And, he, and, then, and then the guy says, I've done it all. He was like Saul. He says, I, I, I've done it perfectly. I've done it all. I'm like, am I good? And Jesus looks at him in this moment and says, man, you're good. But you still lack one thing. And Jesus tells him, he says, all of those things that you have in that gain column, all of those things that you have put your hope and confidence in, your religion, your good works, your idol of self, your treasures, all of that, he says, go and throw it in the dump. Get rid of it. Give it away. And then he says, hey, come follow me. I mean, this is one of the saddest stories that, that I read in the Bible. Because this guy, think about it. Like he's young, he's successful, he's like, he, everyone in society looks up to him. 
He's really somebody. He's been to the best schools. He's got the best education. He's successful by the world's standards. Everybody looks up to him. And in this moment, he wants to make much of himself. And so he approaches Jesus and he says, hey, good teacher, I want you to know how good I really am. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him what to do. Consider all those things as loss and then come follow me. It's the saddest story ever because this guy, this young, successful guy, he's looking at God in the flesh. Jesus is right in front of him, looking him in the eyes, and Jesus is saying, man, come follow me. Like, come on, come be with me. I want you to see me for who I am is what Jesus is telling him. I want you to give up your life and then come follow me. I've got more life than you could ever imagine to give to you. And it says that this guy walks away. He basically looks at Jesus and goes, no, no thanks. I'm not doing that. I'm putting my confidence in me. I'm smart. I'm driven. I'm successful. I go to church. I do all these things. It says that he just walks away. See, this guy thought, that all of those things would make him righteous. To him, they were his gain. Not Paul, though. Like, Paul does not do that. Paul, Paul realized on that road that day, on the road to Damascus, when he met Jesus, Paul realized that all of his religion, all of his good works, and all of his self-righteousness were like filthy rags, he says. He says it was, they are completely worthless compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus. Paul's eyes saw Jesus, and Paul saw him as more valuable than anything else. So much so that everything he had been holding on to, he says, it is like manure, Jesus gives us another beautiful picture in the Gospels in Matthew about what this looks like when someone like Paul really sees Jesus for who he is. It says this in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then he covered it up and then look at it, it says, in his joy... He goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. He goes on to say, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought that one. This is what it's like for the person that sees Jesus for who he is of surpassing worth. Paul says, I see it. Jesus is the greatest treasure. He, I found the most precious pearl and I'm willing to give up everything that I thought was gain in order to have him. He says, Jesus is my righteousness. This is why you and I should rejoice. That's why Paul tells the Philippians, rejoice always. You found the greatest treasure when you find Jesus. He's of surpassing worth, and everything else is garbage and rubbish compared to him. So Paul wants the Philippians and us to know that our righteousness is not found in our religion. Our righteousness is not found in the flesh. Our righteousness is found in Jesus. Look what he says, verses seven through nine. It says, for his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, I want to remind you, our righteousness is found in one place and one place only. It is found in Jesus. That's why Paul says, I want to be found in him. He's the greatest treasure. He's my only hope. He's my righteousness. In another letter, Paul writes these words to the church at Ephesus. He says, for we are saved and made right by the grace of God. Ephesians 2.8 says it like this, 2.8.9. For by grace you have been saved. What, say that word with me. For by, for, by, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is by grace you've been saved. Do you know what grace is? I've gotta be honest with you. I think a lot of us have a hard time understanding grace. Grace is not getting what you and I deserve, but getting righteousness instead. In fact, I'm known around here for, for loving acronyms. Let me give you a little acronym. Here's what grace is. Grace is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Let me say that one more time for you. Grace is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Paul would say it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says, God the Father made his holy and perfect son to be sin in order that you and I might become the righteousness of God. I, I think we've read that verse a uh, hundred times. I think we've heard that verse a lot if we've been around church, but I don't think we really understand that verse. I wanna read it to you one more time and I really want you to just grab a hold of this for the next few moments. Think about this. For our sake. Whose? Ours. For our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Here's what Martin Luther says about this. He says, listen, on the cross, Jesus became the greatest murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, and blasphemer that there ever was. God the Father sent Jesus into the world and said to him, Jesus, you will become Peter the denier. You will become Paul the persecutor. You will become David that adulterer. Jesus, you will become Adam who rebelled and took the first bite in the garden. He made him to be sin. On the cross, Jesus became the husband who's abused his family. On the cross, Jesus became the immoral adulterer who wrecked someone else's marriage. On the cross, Jesus became the drug addict he became the hypocrite living a double life. He became the self-righteous, proud, selfish, and apathetic. On the cross, it says, Jesus became all of those things, and he then died for them so that you and I could be innocent of them. That's what 2 Corinthians mean when it says, he who knew no sin became sin. You've got to personalize that. Think about your life. Think about not your Sunday morning version of you. Go back and really think the things that nobody else knows, the things that are in here and in here, who you really are. Think about every sin you've ever committed, every thought you've ever thought, the deepest, darkest, most corrupt, evil things that go through your mind and that want to rule your heart. Think about everything you've ever done and everything that you ever will do. And it says that Jesus on the cross became those things for you in order that you might receive his Righteousness. It's the greatest exchange that's ever happened. That's why the writer calls it amazing grace. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. It is mind-blowing, amazing. It says amazing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right, that saved a wretch like me. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done. Not what you can do. So here's my question for you this morning. Have you made that exchange? Have you traded all of your religion all of your works, all of your self-righteousness for his righteousness? Or are you still putting your confidence in yourself? Paul wants us to know that there's gonna be a day just like I shared with my friend in the Amazon. There's gonna be a day for every single person. When you take your last breath, 
and you stand before a holy and perfect God who sent his one and only son to be sin for you in order that you might be saved and given his righteousness, that you would have the opportunity to be found in him. And when you stand before this God someday, he's gonna look at you and he's either gonna see you standing in your own righteousness and you will be declared guilty and you will pay the price for all of your sins for all of eternity. Or if you've made that exchange and traded your self-righteousness for his righteousness, you will be found in him. And it says that when God the Father looks at you, he will not see you. He will see nothing but the holy perfection of his son's righteousness. And he will declare you not just innocent, but holy and perfect. And he will say, come on in. Come on in. You didn't put your hope in those things. You put your hope in my son, Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, that is the question we have to answer today. I can't help but there might, thinking there might be someone in this room who spent most of their life, if not all of their life, running on that treadmill of religion and good works, self-righteousness, thinking if it is to be, it's up to me. You heard the, the testimony of the baptism earlier. I did all of these things for most of my life and then I realized it was a loss. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know wherever you're at that Jesus loves you. He became your sin for you so that he could give you his righteousness. All you have to do, it says, is receive it by grace through faith in him. That's how you're saved. For by grace we are saved through faith in Christ alone. There's nothing you can do except just receive this amazing gift of God, the greatest treasure that's ever been given. Jesus' righteousness in exchange for all of your sin and all of your guilt. Will you make the exchange today? Will you say, I'm done? All you have to do is cry out to him. For the rest of us, here's the challenge I want for us. I think many of us, we surrender and we give our lives to Christ. And then we think it's about going to work and, and continuing to earn it each day. And we put our confidence in ourself again and again and again. And it's exhausting. That's why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself that means daily, take up his cross and follow me. So I know there are many in this room that are probably exhausted and tired because you've over the years somehow lost sight of the fact that you did nothing to save yourself and it's not up to you to keep and earn your salvation every single day. We've just forgotten to preach the gospel to ourselves. And so for you, I would say, 
like I've had to wrestle with this week is be reminded that Jesus, you are more than enough to save me and you're the only one who sustains me. My confidence is not in anything I do. My confidence is in you. May you experience a fresh touch of grace today as well. Father, I ask in this moment by the power of your Holy Spirit, if there's anyone that's here today and they've realized uh, they've been putting their confidence in themselves, God, may today they come to the end of themselves. May they surrender their lives to you. God, I pray that you would save them. We'll give you all the glory for it. For the rest of us, God, help us to be reminded that your grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. It's all that we need. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we've got decision and courage. I wanna ask you to stand at this moment as just a response. I believe the gospel deserves a response this morning. So whether you're reminded of the grace that saved you, you should rejoice in the Lord in these next few moments. Go, God, thank you so much for saving a wretch like me. God, I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that you sent your only son to be for me and to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. We should be overwhelmed by that. So let's worship in response to that grace. For those of you that need salvation, don't wait, don't hesitate. Come to someone in the aisle. Let them know that you're done running through the rat race and trying to do it on your own. That today is the day that you've come to the end of yourself and that you are receiving the righteousness of Jesus. Let's worship and let's respond during this time.